A word from our first sponsor on the RAG podcast, Rise Recruitment Ventures. This is a recruitment investment business led by Jonathan Coxon and Alex Elliott, who are a pair of entrepreneurs who in the past built and grew a hundred million pound business called Liquid Personnel. Over a 10 year period, they managed to grow it from two of them in a shared house to selling for over 20 million pounds in 2016. Now they've clubbed together and launched a brand new company with the aim of working with new ventures from inception, as well as early stage startup businesses looking to accelerate their growth. These guys do this by investing not only capital, but their own time and experience to increase and improve your operating performance. They look to build world-class infrastructure to grow businesses that can be built and for exit in a certain time frame. Look, these guys are passionate. They want to work with the best top 10% of recruitment owners, the people that would be successful anyway, but they think with their help, their capital, their experience, they can get there a lot faster and a lot bigger. So if you're interested in at least a conversation with these guys, they are investing, even though the market is obviously in a difficult period due to COVID-19, they're still having those conversations and they're preparing the most progressive agencies for the bounce back. So if you're interested, get in touch with those guys. And that's riserv.co.uk, www.riserv.co.uk. Um, I also tag them on every single episode of The Rag, as well as on the social post. So click through to their website and request a call. Back to the show. On this week's episode of The Rag podcast, I was joined by two people. Andrew Gibson, the Operations Director of BMC Recruitment Group, and Rhonda D'Ambrosio, the founder of Mental Health in Recruitment. A very, very different episode of The Rag today, um, but a really important one for current times. I was put in touch with Andrew recently, having seen his content online, openly talking about his struggles with mental health. He is a, he's been involved with BMC from day one. He's not the, the true founder on his own, but he was part of the founding team. He's now Operations Director for over 13 staff. Yeah, Andrew has had a really long-term suffering with mental health problems. So much so that twice in his life, he's tried to take his own life, unsuccessfully, thankfully. But he's been at the breaking point and had to come back. Rhonda, as a mental health coach, has actually been working with Andrew for the last few months on how he can be a better version of himself, um, better for his people, and really, yeah, just to, just to heal and, and keep improving his confidence. I was delighted when I when I asked and they said yes, that they would both come on today and have a live conversation um, as they normally would offline. So it's like a live clinic where Rhonda's asking questions she would normally do behind closed doors, but doing this for us all to listen to. I got so passionate and involved that sometimes I opened up on things I, I wasn't prepared for. I chipped in with questions as well, but it's not really all about my direction this episode. It's slightly different. It's an hour and 20 minutes to so strap yourself in, but I think... In current situation of COVID-19, we're all struggling, whether it's small or large, we're all at different spectrums of, of struggling with mental health. So I think there's so much information in here and I hope it really helps. So without further ado, Rhonda, Andrew, welcome on the RAG podcast. Hi, Sean. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Nice to Great be to here. Have you in. Yeah, it's, well, we're not really anywhere, are we? We're all in our houses. We've not, we've not had to move, <laughs> yeah. but uh, this is the second official RAG podcast, which I haven't done in the Hoxo HQ, so, um, but this is much more, I feel like a lot more set up today. I've got the, you know, I've got the headphones on, I've got the new kit, the, the studio looks good and, uh, and I've got two guests. I don't normally have two guests, so I'm excited. 
mixing well, look, it up. For, yeah, mixing it up. This is going to be a very different episode. As I said in the intro, this is all about, really, it's about how you two have worked together. And it's not, it's not really about me, this one. I want to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a part of it. Otherwise, why am I here? But um, <laughs> it, it really is about you guys. And, and I want to understand the dynamics between you two and, and how things have happened. But for the, for the um, listeners, I've tried to give you an intro, but I can never do it justice. Can, can I get you each to just give us an overview of who you are and what you do, starting with you, Andrew? Yeah, thanks, Sean. Um, so I'm the operations director of BMC Recruitment Group. Um, started six years ago and I've been involved from the start. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's fast six years and um, and totally loving it. Um, but yeah, that's me. Based in the Northeast? Yeah, based in Newcastle, Northeast. Yeah. Um, and we, we cover various quite quite good we we cover tech finance um commercial and construction as of last year which is yeah. really exi- which is really exciting a uh, completely different world to over what we used to but um you find the right you right find the right perfect consultants and uh, yeah it's you can go it makes it easier for me certainly um, right well look we'll get into that in a minute uh, Rhonda, yourself can you give us an intro yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm Rhonda D'Ambrosio. I've worked in the recruitment industry for 23 years now. I've worked most jobs in uh, in recruitment. I've run my own IT recruitment business. I run a few people's businesses, um, recruitment businesses. And um, now I do, I work for Ebenable, um, which is a professional development and wellbeing organisation. And I'm founder of Mental Health in Recruitment, which is an organisation to um continually push awareness for support of mental health in the recruitment workplace wow so you um 20 you say 23 years in recruitment. yeah wow. go on and you still and you, you still love it <laughs> please say it please say surely not Rhonda. you're not that old <laughs> you can't be that old Rhonda. <laughs> but i'm uh i didn't want to be too cliche but i'm like i'm still i'm thinking why and you still love it it says a lot about the industry right that you're still involved yeah, I think um, the fact that I've diversified what I'm doing and I've sort of the direction of what I do in the industry makes a massive difference, you know. Mm-hmm. So I've seen many iterations over the, the decades and changes to sort of how we approach things in downturns. So I think it's that it's the it's always different. Um, it, there's always, a, you know, we're we're evolving as an industry. Yeah, 100%. I've seen I think since I started Hoxo in 2017, I think the industry's just transformed. I mean, the whole point of why I did this was because I wanted to, I was the customer, I was launching Hoxo, the, the agency in 20, in 2016, I was planning the agency and then I wanted it to be built on like brand and, and content and all these things I was watching YouTubers and Instagrammers yeah. do, but I couldn't find it in recruitment. Fast forward three years, hopefully I've had a part to play and you know, there's people walking and talking on iPhones every single day across LinkedIn, right? Yeah. It's, it has changed and, and I think it's changed for the better in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but this episode, um, it's all about the relationship between you two and how you've you're working with Andrew and J- Andrew's journey. So let's go back, Andrew, to tell us a story. How did BMC come together, and what was your involvement in the in the very early days? Yeah, so we um, it was three investors. That's what BMC stands for. And right. Brett Michael, Brett Michael, Chris, and we invested in um, in uh, some consultants with a pipe with a, um, a temp book, and um, yeah. It kind of like it was in oil and gas originally, um, which wasn't the great greatest timing because it, uh, it the oil the oil prices crashed. Um, but we kind of like just diversified and moved from um, 
moved into tech finance uh, for so six years so, so six years ago there was a couple of recruiters with a temp book and then three guys brad michael and chris invested in them brett michael chris brett yeah. michael chris so where do yeah. you come into this yeah, so originally from the start, I was um, I helped out with the in the investment side and um, the finance side and HR, commercial, kind of like all the internal, um, all the internal. So you were brought in by the investors to be the operational element to pull it all together. Yeah, exactly. Um, wow. And then, yeah, fast forward five years, it very much um, our MD uh, Chris. He he's the He's the client's focus side, um, and I'm internal, and it, it works well as a, a, a double act. Um, and the more consultants you have, the more, you know, and uh, the more management there is. And yeah, it's kind of like that's how it's working now. And, and finding just the right people to join us. Um, and yeah, it's been a long six years, but. So where where's, where's the business sat at today? Yeah, it's uh, we've got uh, thirteen consultants. Um, uh, we're making the teams and divisions. So we've got, um, like I said, tech, finance, and construction and commercial executive. Um, and yeah, they're all all led by um, experienced manage managing consultants. Um, and yeah, it's just finding the right people uh, to join in that in those teams and. Um, and all the money's reinvested into those teams who, you know, and that's how we're going to grow each division um, and support each division as they, as they do grow. Were you in recruitment yourself before? Have you ever worked in the No, industry? definitely no. not. Um, I think everyone falls into it and I haven't been a recruitment consultant. Um, I did an accountants and finance degree at, at Durham and then wanted to become chartered accountant, I thought. Um, but I definitely didn't want to become chartered. Um, did a year in sitting in um, an accountancy office, and it's very boring. Um, and going out and audit, you know, in in the middle of nowhere for two weeks, with uh, everyone hates you when you go out to these clients. So I kind of just got involved in in the investment um, portfolio, and um, yeah, we invested in BMC, and I had a huge passion for. The people and and the business and I love recruitment and I, you know I, I love seeing the consultants get the wins and the, it's hard seeing them get the rejections but the the wins out outgrow out the, the the rejections but um yeah and then it, my career kind of like just developed from there and but I've, we'll we'll chat in a sec about how my anxiety kind of like stopped that for about four or five years and really. Um, at the last 12 months is where I've, I've kind of like come into my own and into management and um yeah and and becoming you know a business leader and so so in the early days you've got a growing team of consultants you've got investors were they recruiters as well the investors were they no no so basically you, you've got quite a heavy like almost like back office to this recruitment business haven't you normally yeah. it's a couple of guys most of my guests are on their own or in a pair. They go out, they build a business, and then later on they think about support. Whereas you, you're providing this little function to these guys from day one. Yeah. Did it exactly. feel like? Did it feel a bit overkill at the beginning potentially? All these different minds it's, and thoughts and processes for. Yeah, it's, of... it's, it. It was pretty crazy because you, you know we're, we're ISO accredited and which I I do all that and GDPR mm. came out and it's kind of like we've set up for like 30, 40 staff, you know and. Yeah. 
it's quite important that um, you know you. It's it's important for us that now we just find the right consultants to literally slot into the business and and they can you know the, the finance the the procedures you know the operations it's all there, um, and it's just finding the right people to. I think the, the the best thing for us, you know, I haven't came from I'm not a recruitment consultant, um, unlike quite a lot of business owners, I think recruitment owners, um, and Neva is our MD. He was MD of insurance background, um, but it's actually we're investing in in the consultants, and you know, um, example is you know Salman, our head of construction, he. He was in specialist construction uh, recruitment agencies, um, but he was doing absolutely, he was flying, but he reached to a level where they didn't let him fly above and, and get to that kind of like, there's there's loads of red tape at the top and, you know, he was so is your model, boss and Is your model different then? Do they get like a different level of ownership, commission structure, that kind of freedom? Yeah, I mean, the, we'll change the commission scheme, um, you know, so it's attractive and we're really changed to like flexible working and they're, they're kind of like their own boss within the within that. They can manage the team the way they want to manage the team as long as they, they bill. And you kind of like let go of the, the chains of shackles from them and, you know, whatever they've done well, you know, they can create a team where, you know, for example, Salman, he didn't get that opportunity at these specialist um, construction recruitment agencies and we're allowing them to do that. You know, I'm not an expert in construction and, but he is, but you, what you need is, you know, it, it's different from setting up your own company because there's finance, there's, yeah. you know, payroll, HR, it, legal, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the background that actually is, it's, it's quite difficult to manage, um, but you just let them do it. Let, let them do what they're good at. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. So, so let's paint the picture then. What, what, what went on and how did you two get to know each other? Rhonda, what, what, where's this connection come from? Yeah, interesting. So um, BMC, uh, the company Andrew's talking about, put up a post on LinkedIn um, a few weeks back and um, a mutual connection of ours, a chap called Steve Guest, author of top biller I should do that yeah. should I hashtag top biller for Steve if that's <laughs> all right um tagged me in Andrew's post um Andrew put BMC had put some copy that Andrew had written alongside the post um that referenced the individual anxiety and mental health issues and um Steve said look you two really should be talking to each other so um Andrew and I connected and I reached out to him and sort of said hey it'd be great to have a chat and I was really interested, I was really intrigued um, that the copy that talked from a, you know, very personal perspective of, you know, I've struggled and, and, and I understand this um, was a little bit in contrast to the, you know, the business video that had been posted. And I wanted to understand that. And this is how um, I've got to know Andrew and he's talked to me a bit about his story, which, you know, I found really powerful and, and, and I gifted him access of. Um, to kite support which is you i think you know is the um the product that i've brought to market with a team um across the globe to help build resilience during adversity and the adversity that we're faced so that's kind so, of what did the post say like well can you re reference roughly what what the post was about Paint yeah but, yeah um so i wanted to create a video um i, I don't have the editing skills that was the office manager who did the video but it it was no, neither do i mate don't worry oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Some I said that earlier on. Stop giving we'll... your secrets away. Yeah. Rhonda, Rhonda asked, Sean, will you be editing the video? I said, well, not me, no. Someone else will. I ain't got a clue, but yeah, we'll get it done. Go on. Yeah, so... I wanted to create this video that, you know, at, at this time, you know, there's, there's a lot of anxiety with, this was um, a couple of weeks back now where, you know, 48 hours, 98% of our jobs just got put on hold and probably similar for any, all of the recruitment agencies across the UK that aren't in healthcare or, or logistics or something like that. And um, people, you know, I had quite a lot of anxiety then, but, you know, with what I've been through, you know, it was kind of like nothing kind of compare to what I've been through but it you know other people out there you know they might lose their jobs or you know and the the best kind of advice is just to talk and open up and I was going to put it on on the um, company hide behind the company profile um, with the video and then I, for the last second I just decided right I'll add a comment as well kind of like put some context into you know and this is the first time I've actually opened up about my anxieties to kind of like the world now it's on LinkedIn the, the web so Rhonda what what did this post say can you remember um it, it, the post the copy alongside it was you know yes have a look at the video there's um you know everyone will be feeling an element of stress and anxiety right now because of COVID-19 and as somebody that has had anxiety has anxiety and had mental health issues I think I might not be verbatim there um you know this yeah. is important this is an important message for me to post out it was something like that and it was yeah. that for me was the question that I put to Andrew which was you know why did you post behind where did you hide talk to me about why you felt you needed to hide behind the company post um, and, you know, Andrew, I don't know if you want to pick this up. We we talked about the similarity of, you know, between coming out and people's sexuality. He, you know, mm. you, it was almost you, like you said, Andrew, and I don't think you've referenced it. You've not been on LinkedIn um, very long, have you? Yeah, since no, November, December last year and I joined LinkedIn. And yeah, it was um, I, I wanted to angle towards business leaders as well at the same at the same time. And because everyone's got pulled together at the minute and. You know, as a team of consultants as well, you have to pull together. And, you know, quite a lot of people actually commented, you know, why did you not talk over the video? Or what was the, or why did you not, you know, do a video yourself? Um, like like what you said, Sean, earlier, you know, that there's a lot of video now on LinkedIn. Um, but I just, because of my anxiety, I, I, I just didn't want to. I, I wanted to hide behind the company. Um, and, yeah, okay. it makes sense. It makes sense. What I'd like for the for the next part of the show is, I mean, Rhonda, if you can get on, like, let's let's open up the bonnet of the conversation you guys are having, right? I'd like live now for you to ask Andrew the questions that you potentially have asked before. Mm -hmm. But let's let's get under the bonnet of this because I I really believe that right now recruitment owners, recruit recruiters, people in general are all we're all got we're all on different spectrums of a mental health um, issue. Every, everyone's suffering from something. I mean. Yesterday, like my wife lost a plot over making. There wasn't enough tofu sausages to make. There was, I, I bought a packet. I bought a packet of four, thinking it was a packet of eight, and she threw them at me. And I was like, I, I'm, I, "That can't be that bad." But surely, like little things become so big now because we're yeah. in the same fucking house for twelve hours and fifteen hours a day. Um, I hope she doesn't listen to this. Yeah. Uh, but, You're gonna get. We're gonna see a packet of sausages uh, come flying through. I've never even eaten tofu sausages, so I fucked the first packet up. Um, but we're uh, we're trying to be really clean. But anyway, um, but this seriously, we're all going through different things right now. But Andrew's put himself out there, and yeah. 
I, I, rather than me just talk, we just talk about the, what's going on. Let's get under the bonnet. So if you take over with the questions, I'll try and be a bit quieter for a bit. Okay, so that sounds like a plan. Um, right. And I think it ties into you talking about the stats and everything else and how we're all feeling. You know, when I go out and I talk um, and reference good health, I still find and we still see that disparity between physical health and mental health as you know they're two separate things so I think Andrew my first question for you is how long has your I guess you know what you've been facing and your mental health been front and centre of your life? Yeah <clears throat> yeah for me it was majority of my life and it started around when I was 14 um, bullied because of my weight at that time um, and then it progressed into um, when I went to university, um, massively into social anxiety, um, and the fact that I would just when I, you know, when you go out clubbing or you know in front of in front of the class lecturers, you know, it's huge amounts of anxiety. And for me, it was I show that by sweating excessively from the mm. face, and that's impossible to hide. Um, and as a result, you get mocked, teased, judged because it. What, why on earth are you like it, it's after like you complete a marathon that's what kind of like the adrenaline goes through and that kind of led us into, into depression at that point in some pretty dark places um yeah i i guess you know it's something from what you've told me has impacted you for a very lo very long time and if you were to think back over the last 10 to 12 years what what are some of the things that you know all of us take for granted that, that you'd say your anxiety has stopped you from doing? Yeah, I think, f the f the first of all, it, it was socially, you know, outside of work, it was, it, it really stops, stops you in your tracks and that progresses into, into your, your career, you know, through university, what, what you're going to do after you leave the university and my career was massively affected. I, you know, I went in, I mentioned I went in accountancy, you know, I, I was just coursing. I, I was, I was kind of like just. I didn't know what I wanted to be, and yeah. you know that anxiety was just coming. Out of Almost clouding you. Yeah. Yeah. With, I was just thinking about that rather than actually what I'm, I was kind of capable of and yeah. wanted to do. And you know, I, w I wouldn't go to shops in case I bumped into people and the amount of people there were, and it it kind of like it, it's a it's a long road of you know yeah you think about anxiety and then you mm. play on it and then you, it, it ramps up quite quickly it's interesting isn't it because you um when we spoke about this previously and we talked about your weight as an example you know yeah. when i asked you about that you know it you said it's it's not like you were um you know classed as clinically obese it's not like your bm um bmi was off the scale um it, we almost got to this point didn't we where we classed it as puppy fat but for you at that time it was really yeah. debilitating yeah and I think I think that's the you know it's just such a small thing, but you know, it, it's when the anxiety of uh, comes over you, and it it wasn't the could have been anything, you know, it could have been could have been a lot worse, but you know, it it, it was it, it was the anxiety at the time that you know are, are they going to mention it again? Are they are they going to? And then you start thinking about yourself and self reflection, and yeah. you know, it, it's a difficult it's difficult to get out of that loop mm. when, when is it a constant you know. sorry to ask is it a constant feeling and thought is it something that comes in and out of your head or but let's go back to that period was it was it non-stop 
Oh, massively, yeah. And it really affects then everything you do. Yeah. And, you know, you then start to create stories in your head that aren't true and, and thoughts that are not true. And that's a massive thing I've learned. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, it, it, it's thoughts that are on your head. And, mm. and it's how you deal with those thoughts. Yeah. Uh, and for, for me, I, I definitely allow them in and then really ramp them up. Even though the bullying kind of like started mellow I, I mm. was ramping my anxiety up in case something like that happened again yeah. and um and then when you went to university it kind of like just exploded with you know um meeting someone to you know to being the, the popular person or fitting mm. in with people because you don't know anyone and yeah that kind of like ramps up yeah ramps up then you um you shared a lot of honesty and openness with me, Andrew, when we talked about how all of those feelings built and it took you to, you know, I know some very, very dark places and I'm, you know, Sean and I, I, I are very happy and feel quite privileged that you're open to talking about this. But, you know, there were two occasions where you told me you tried to take your own life. And I kind of would like to know what you were facing at those particular moments you know on those two occasions what was it that made you feel that suicide was the only option for you yeah and I think that's the you know that's one of the main reasons I'm doing this this podcast and let my feelings out on LinkedIn because if you don't talk openly you know that anxiety turns to depression and that depression then turns into you know people taking their own lives because mm. um, if you don't get off that road you know uh, that that is what happens and uh the, f the first time was you know I, I just graduated from university and i didn't want to go live back with my parents i didn't have any you know fr many friends at that time and i wanted to so i just moved into a flat by myself and started my my job that i didn't want to do and um you know it was just kind of like wake up go nine to five you know come home lock myself in in my in my flat and repeat the next mm. day and just kind of get the days over and over with and eventually that it's eventually it gets to the point where you know you start having some dark thoughts and you know I'm never going to succeed in life and I'm a failure to my family and you know I'm never going to meet anyone and so then I locked myself in the bathroom and you know my, my dad was on the other side of the on the other side of the door you know shouting and picked up a razor and I thought right what what's the point now or what's the point in life and and for the split second I, I listened to my dad's voice and that's when that thought of you know taking my own life kind of like you know you know went for a mm. second and my dad opened the door and 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 that was, that was kind of like the first step of of the help that I, I was gonna like the road to like recovery on on that kind of how did it level. get to the point where your dad was outside the room? Did he? Did he? Yeah, know he, he did you call him or something? How did that all come? About? Yeah, it and it's when you've got this anxiety and then especially depression, you know, you, you want the attention, you want someone to help you, but then mm. you don't at the same time. Um, mm. And for me, it was my dad. You know, I was just um, I didn't tell anyone this, and I was hiding it from everyone. And but my dad knew, and you know, he he came over. I text him, and he he came over. And, I think I was I was texting you know what's the point in life and he could tell us something was wrong and he, he drove over and 
that's when I locked myself in the bathroom. And yeah. it was, it, at that point, you know, it's, yeah, it's, you want the help, you desperately need the help inside, but at the same time, you desperately don't want people to waste time on you because you think you're insignificant and you think you're not normal. And mm. for me, that uh, that's a, a difficult scale kind of, kind of to go on, but. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I've got some questions for you around, I guess, the behaviours that the people around you would have been seeing at that time, but it'd be good to hear about the second experience you had before I ask you that, if that's okay. Yeah, definitely. And I think that was the first road of recovery for me in terms of my, you know, my sweating and my anxiety around that. But actually it's, it was more to, it was more than that. And, um, the second time I had overcome a lot of anxieties, I'd already been on intensive CBT therapy sessions and, and, but I was still lost in my career. I was still lost in, you know, where I wanted to go in life. And um, I'd met my, my amazing wife and, you know, it, it was, but again, it was still a career. It, it was, what do I want to be? And we were expecting our our um, first child, um, our son. And, you know, I, I, I was I was 30, you know, um, 29 going on 30. And I was like, well, I'm still nothing, you know. I have to, I've still not achieved anything, and um, at that point, and I was like, I don't want my son to be like me. You know, my uh, my problems that I was facing, you know, he if he's anything like me, you know, it'll be a failure. And I was driving a I was driving the car, and in uh, you know, I, I was gonna crash into uh, crash into the uh, in the barriers, you know, mm-hmm. and it for that again, like the first time, it was. You know, my wife was pregnant and for that first time I, I stopped and then thought of thought of my son and you know we just did a, a scan and then I swerved back onto the road and I, st- I pulled over I stopped and I was shaking and you know that that was the you know it, it's so selfish and you, you you've kind of like none I needed help again yeah. and I think there's it's testament in there Andrew to if you look at both of those you know differently those two occasions the thing that's anchored you back in has been loved ones and the relationships that you've got around you so I'm yes. I, I'm I really you know and I think this is this is potentially interesting for people that are listening when you consider your behaviors and what your friends your family your loved ones were seeing from you at that time you know both occasions um you know was was it different yeah it was you know, I was, you can notice it as well. And um, I think this is good for, you know, for managers, you know, and leaders who, who don't have anxiety um, and to, to kind of like spot that behavior in their consultants, employees or, yeah. or their family. Um, because my, my behavior, you know, it, uh, I think some people, everyone's different, but for certainly for me and probably a lot of people, you know, I, I went into a shell I would hide away, I would run away from things. I, I didn't want to speak or bump in anyone and I wanted the days just to fly by and, you know, like life had no purpose. Mm. And, and you know, that that was, I think, I think as well, you know, a really good, I was on the depression kite, which is um, ah. uh, the kite support. And um, I came across a video that I hadn't watched for three years, um, which was the, the black dog depression video. and. I would urge anyone who wants to, it really sums up yeah. what what people with depression are, are, are going through. And after 
you know, after I pulled over the car, it was the day, it was the day after I watched that video because I was trying to explain how I felt and, um, and you know, that just overwhelming amount of emotion hit us when I was watching because it's, it's exactly what I was going through. And mm. I think a lot of people will be in the same boat of that. And yeah. Have you seen yeah. it, Sean? No, I've not. Yeah, so uh, I think it's it yeah it coins it and 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 I can't talk from the same position as as you Andrew but you know we've chatted about this it's that almost it it it's the, the metaphor for depression is this big black dog that follows you around um and intrudes on your life in some ways you know so like an unruly unruly dog um interestingly like we were saying Andrew there's a we we class our dogs as companions yeah they're supposed to be good things and it's it that's why it's incredibly interesting i think because of the from from the conversations i've had andrew with you and with other people that have been in similar situations you know there is almost a comfort to knowing that that is always that you're clinging on to to these feelings and this routine and this normality how do you you know how do you recover from that how does somebody recover from you know those situations yeah i think like the first time, you know, I had, uh, I went on a CBT intensive therapy session uh, through the NHS, and you know, at that time, you know, I I needed help, and um, and the second, and well, a big shout out to Stephen who who I really connected with, and I think it's important that you connect with someone when you're going to open up, mm-hmm. um, to them, and it's a very cliched answer, but what really helped me was just talking about it but talking openly about it but then accepting yourself and you know accepting you um as a person do you feel um, like there's a type of person you should speak to because I, I i i mean I've, i was on i lived with a guy in my in six years ago my my business partner that you spoke to yesterday andrew yeah. moved out <clears throat> moved out of the flat we lived with another friend and we and we had a mate of a mate who moved in this was the summer of 2014. He moved in. This guy was like, he was a school teacher that was launching this, um, co- he, was, he was launching a service that was going to be like a tutoring service for kids. And he was, he was this bundle of energy, this great looking, like, I mean, like, he looked like a model guy. This li- he was this little bundle of energy. He used to play rugby for London Broncos. Like, he was the coolest guy you've ever met. Genuinely, it was like, it was unbelievable. I mean, being in the house with him was just, it was a barrel of laughs. But then... He moved in in the August, and by September, he just, he just started changing. He started getting quite upset, and he started changing his habits, and he started yeah. doing things differently. And I didn't know him well enough to know what he was all about. I was like, maybe that's just him. Yeah. And by like <laughs> by November, this guy, I walked in one day, and he was crying in his bedroom, right? And I walked in, I thought, something drastic's happened. And as I walked in, he was just staring into a coffee cup. And I was like, you all right, mate? And he's like, I'm just delighted by the way the milk's forming. And I was like, I just couldn't get my head around it. And I was like, this guy is crazy. That was honestly what I was thinking. I was like, this guy is crazy. And then a week later, he went to this retreat in South on the South Coast where he just scrubbed floors for a weekend and didn't speak to anyone. It was like this retreat where you almost like punish yourself. Anyway, long story short, he, he took his own life in December of that year. Oh, so he, no. Yeah, he moved out at the end of November. We didn't know why, but his parents basically took him in and he was... I found him crying another night and then he, he was found in a hotel. He'd taken a lot of pills and drank a bottle of whiskey and he killed himself in December 2014. And I mean, we were blown away because my Amma's dad had passed away the same two weeks before in an yeah. accident. And, and Amma had just moved back into the bedroom that he'd... So his dad had died and then the lad who'd been in his bed for a year died. And we were just... But, but then after it, 
we were trying to unpick this journey we'd watched. Mm. And I think I felt guilty because I was like, I think I had a relationship with this guy that wasn't close enough to be someone he might, he might have actually opened up to me if mm. I'd have asked him, but I didn't. Yeah. And I felt, I felt this overwhelming guilt. And I guess my question is, what type of people should you speak to? Because sometimes, is it, are your family too close almost? Are they too is there, is there a is there the right is there a direction you could go that is a perfect fit almost for opening up? Yeah, that's, that's really that's really amazing that actually, Sean. Um, because you know it, it can happen to anyone. You know that this guy was obviously good looking and you know had everything. Seemed to like have everything, but you know it's anxiety and um, this is how it ties in with recruitment consultants and sales consultants. But for for me, you know. You, it's an interesting question. Your family, your mom, my dad, I was really close. I am still really close to my dad. And, you know, that is, for me, I, I didn't overcome this through my family or my wife or my son. It, it was speaking to Stephen. Um, yeah, so someone was, different, right? Yeah. yeah. It was someone different. And because the, you kind of like think, and they were saying all lovely things, you know, and really supportive, but it just it didn't click in my head. Mm. And, you know, it took someone, but I had, through university, I had CB, I had two therapists, you know, and I just didn't connect with them. I, yeah. For whatever, they were lovely people. One was in the in the 50s, one was just graduating kind of thing and, and becoming a therapist. And I just didn't connect with them. It didn't work. And you really, if you're going to talk about stuff like that, you know, and you've really got to open up to the person. But mm. more importantly, you've, you've got to, that person that you're speaking to has to take the time to listen. And there's a lot of people in the world that, you know, just don't give a shit. And, you know, it's, if, if you feel that connection with someone, when you say one thing and they stop and listen and maybe ask you a question, then that's the person you need to, to continue mm. on with. But family definitely would help a lot of people, I would think. And if you're not speaking to your family, speak to your family first or your loved ones because right. I was speaking to my family um, in terms of trying to get tech. Like, they knew I was in a dark place, but it's definitely speak to someone else that you don't know because it's that fear of, yeah. you know, it's that fear of, oh, my God, what are they going to think? What they are going to say? And it can be a friend, it can be a therapist, but... Someone who doesn't know your life it yeah. is sometimes better as well. And the best thing that Stephen ever did was he didn't he, he didn't ask about the, you know, it's not them therapy sessions where, you know, you see in the movies where you, you're on a sofa and you put your feet up for 40 <laughs> minutes and, you know, and you chat through how bad your week's been. Completely different. And it, it's he wasn't bothered about the detail and it's not the detail and... For, I remember one one session that just recently, you know, um, six months ago, I, I rambled on for for about twenty minutes. He didn't say a word, and he was like, "Finished? Can, can I just can I continue? Because I'm not bothered about the detail. It, it's all about the thoughts before that. And yeah. wow. you know, you've got to kind of like you've, it takes you know a senior therapist. It definitely it helps, and it's free on the NHS as well. You know, you can. Wow. Can I, um, can I, you know, looking back in terms of the journey, and, and we've said we think it's it's almost an ongoing journey. But when you look back, Andrew, what have you what have you learned about yourself and about you know people around you? Yeah, I think it, it's you know 
I really learned that, you know, anxiety and depression really held me back from the person I really am. And mm. um, I, I learned that those people who really, really care about you, whether it's family or friends or loved ones, you know, will always be at your side no matter what. And it's actually really difficult for them living with or being around this person who with depression, mm. it's really difficult. So you, you've kind of, but when you're in that state of mind, you, you don't think about how difficult it is for that person, but it's, it's seeing that person who's, you know, negative, depressed, you know, it, it's hard for them, but you, you, there's also on the other flip side on the coin, there's people who are too wrapped up in their own world and they just don't give a shit. And you've got to remove those people from your life. Yeah. And, you got to surround yourself with people who accept you, whether that's your family or friends that you got, or new people who just accept you for being you and yeah. you don't have to put up a front. Um, just going back to something you said at the beginning of the conversation about the narrative that we create for ourselves, about you know how we're perceived and how people view us. You know, what about you? Told me a really interesting um, story about a break your break your big breakthrough moment with um, Steve the the Steve the therapist, not Steve Topbiller <laughs> hashtag Topbiller, and um, yeah, we we I think that might be really interesting for everyone to hear because this breakthrough moment is about perception and other people. Yeah, and strangers, and that anxiety that I had was definitely around you know going to a business meeting and in your shirt and tie and covered in sweat, you know, within seconds of, of the meeting starting or going out to a party, you know, not actually going into the party because, you you know, you look a mess before you even go in and that's just bumping into strangers and talking to people you don't know. And for me, that that, that was in my first CBT session after um, after the, the first time, you know, and it was, it is really ridiculous and, like a concept that I've never, I never told anyone for a year later because I was too, uh, it just sounds stupid, but it was, I was walking around the park. This was the 16th week and I was walking around the park and we'd been building up for this for 16 sessions and I was walking around there with Stephen for 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> two grown adults, you know, walking around this massive big park and just talking about what I was going to do. And it was the scariest moment of my life. And, um, I, you know, I put water and I was starting to sweat because my anxiety was going. And I went up to the counter in, in a Costa in a Costa coffee shop and I said to the said to the guy behind the counter, Look at me, I'm sweating. And his reaction was, Yeah, what do you want to drink? And <laughs> at that moment of time I was like, he just doesn't give a shit that I'm I'm really sweating. I've just pointed and highlighted it, which other people did and, and mocked us in the past, but he doesn't care. He just wants to take my order and that, that, it's that, a cue here, mate. Come on. That, yeah. <laughs> I was like that developed by the next time in the, the next week going to Newcastle and doing the same experiment for every single shop in Newcastle. My master did that about 30 times and it's about practice. And the 30th time I was like, I wasn't even sweating. I was just, and I was pointing at my face and I wasn't even sweating because the anxiety <laughs> wasn't there. And uh, that was a massive light bulb moment for me and just not giving a shit. That makes sense. I want to, I mean, I listened to when, when I was on a journey to building Hoxhill Media, it was, it's when I got into podcasts and I was started listening to podcasts in 20, 2015. I was, I discovered a thing called the James Swanick show and it's a guy who does the, a non, a non-alcohol challenge, a 30 day no alcohol challenge. And that was a change in my life. Cause I was like, 
I wasn't a big drinker, but I drank enough that it was pissing me off. And I remember I was on a train one morning back from Manchester to London and I was hung over in this beautiful sunny day at like eight o'clock on a Sunday. And I'd been out all night with my brothers for his birthday. And this family got on this, I think they were Spanish. They were on the way to London. They were like ripping up baguettes and handing out bread. And they were talking about <laughs> Londres, Londres, Londres. And I was sat in the corner like a complete hermit. And I was like, something's got to change. And I, and I found this podcast. Anyway, the first episode I listened to was about a guy talking about, I forget his name and I'll, I'll find it. It was about a guy from Leicester who's like a performance coach. He was talking about how we all are the star of our own movie and we're actually, everyone else is, is, a, is, a, is an either a supporting character or an extra. And when, when, you, when you think like, you know, you drive, your life's driven by the opinion of others. It's really important to remember that you're just an extra. You're just a part that you're not the you're not the, uh, the the star of the movie. They are so. Well, you're so worried about what people are thinking of yeah. your sweat, but they're so worried about what you're thinking about what they're wearing or <laughs> their, their grey hair or. Do you know what I mean? We're all so concerned with ourselves. It sounds yeah. It's fucking true. We're all so gripped by ourselves. Yeah. When you realise that everyone else is the same, surely that's a bit liberating, right? They don't really give a shit. Yeah. It's yeah. honestly it's massively liberating, and yeah. you know, it doing a podcast for the first time. I literally don't care now what what people think of us, and if they if they like us or don't like us, who cares? Because they're too bothered about their own world and their own exactly. lives and this, their own problems. This is an interesting point, isn't it? Around stigma when we talk about this and when we speak about how we're viewed, and um, again going back to physical uh, mental health. If if someone's got a broken leg or a broken collarbone and they can't work. There's no issue, right? We yeah. don't we don't look at them and think, oh, you know, there's a problem there. We accept it. Whereas when somebody is suffering from their mental health or is having to take time out of the workplace, there's a problem there still. So I, I guess, I, from, did you talk about this at work, Andrew? Have you, you know, Def- definitely not. Um, it was like if if I came in with uh, actually my son, I don't even know if my son. I haven't been in a fight in the last few years. My son decided to, you know, while I was lying in the garden enjoying the sun, smack, a, smack us with a, a die cast. I can't even uh, say. Ice cream truck. Yeah, well, I was like, oh, great, thanks. I've got a podcast on Friday. But um, I, again, I, I don't care because yeah. so what? It, it doesn't matter. Um, but I would have done prior to that. Yes, and, yeah. Um, you know, I try to hide it massively with with um with my sweating and you know from makeup to you know botox you know apparently that must meant to work definitely doesn't um so andrew um, like your role let's just paint the picture for the listeners right so your role while at the beginning you're kind of doing all these you know you're supporting the team's getting bigger yeah, now so like when, when a, yeah. a recruitment company gets to 10 to 13 to 15 people like you've got a considerable amount of work going on you're you're, yeah. you're supporting all these high flyers um yeah how how is how has this affected your day to day in that in the recruitment business? And because I want people to start thinking, how is this like? Is is this happening in their agency either to themselves or to people? What what's what was the symptoms and what, how did it affect you there? Yeah, I think, um, and that's really for about that affected my career. You know, I, I I still I have the capability now to to manage and you know I've I've got good ideas. I, I know what I'm talking about in terms of operations and you know, and that's learned from experience, but. The anxiety held us back from that, and mm. I was always involved in from an HR perspective kind of thing, um, and I was doing people's inductions um, early on, and 
th this this was a time where you know I started this induction with this person and I started sweating all over the the papers and it was just like horrifying and that was that that was when my wife was pregnant and and I was like God like what is happening to us and you know it was because of my position as well and this is how it transpired from you know what I really want to talk about with with recruitment owners and recruitment agency owners is you know because of your position you know this is a new member of staff they're they're meant to be nervous they're meant mm. to be nervous on the first day not the person who's given the induction you know from okay. from a management position and this is this is a stigma you know it's you come in with broke. If I came in with broken arm, people would go, "Oh, you're right, Andrew. Oh, what happened? What happened?" They might mock you, but it's like, mm. "Oh yeah, it was an accident or whatever." But I come in and talk about my anxiety. God, look, I've just. But you're meant to do that, mm. you know. That's. I tried to hide away from it. I I, I did an induction like that and and ran and she, she was like, "What the, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what what what's kind of like happening here?" And I I passed it over to someone else to do the admin kind of side of it and. I ran the toilet and actually it's you know you've got to kind of like see this in your in your staff you know if, if people are, are have anxiety you know it's it you've got to open up and, and let them give them the platform to talk to you about it you know they might not want to talk but you know people are stressed mm. in all sorts of of life and yeah that that for me you know it, it is massive for, were for you, the workplace were you like showing specific behaviors on a day-to-day -day? like were you less less interacting with your team and you know hiding in the corner or is there anything you were doing that was different yeah uh, yeah definitely well it was kind of like everything was a super speed because i wanted to escape and escape's the first first thing that you that you do when right. you have anxiety and um like the induction i wanted to be it's half an hour I, I did it in about four minutes and you know sweat i was covered in sweat and that was, you know, um, you, you, you start to be quiet. You don't, you know, in, in meetings, you, you, you're at, at the corner of the, like you said, you're a hermit in, in, the, yeah. in the corner instead of, you, you've actually really want to say this point, but mm. you can't because of anxiety. And, um, you know, as soon as I accepted myself for me and didn't give a shit about others, what they thought of me, that's when I started to become getting involved in the management side of things yeah. and actually... You know, I don't care what this person thinks of us, mm. you know, and let's have a really good conversation. And then you become the confident version of yourself. Um, yeah, that's... If you think about the industry as well, you know, we do have a reputation, don't we, of saying that it, it, recruitment is built on this mental toughness and that everybody mm. in recruitment has to be mega resilient. What do you think the, the, the misconceptions are? around yeah. people dealing with mental health issues. And we know that it's it's not just a pocket. We, you know, that one in four stat um, about common mental health disorders and even the one in six one about work-related stress and anxiety, we know that that moves, that's interchangeable. That's not, that's not always fixed. So, you know, yeah, I'm interested in what you think the misconceptions are in, in the recruitment industry. Yeah, I think, well, our visioned um, recruiters as um, people from, have you seen Wolf of Wall Street and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Leo on the phone, yeah. on, on the making a sales call, you know, and everyone's watching him and he's so confident and charismatic and engaging and that's what I thought recruiters were and a lot of people actually, you know, come across like that and, but they actually have anxieties behind, behind that kind of like bravado and, um, you know, recruitment is, 
a very, very demanding and stressful job. You know, that everyone's got to hit their weekly KPIs. They've got to make hundreds of sales calls a mm. week that can, you know, they probably get 95% of them rejected, you know, and, you know, it's very stressful. And if you, if you go home and you've got something that's outside of work, that's also very stressful, you know, you know, that, that can lead to massive as massive amounts of anxiety and you know i've seen it in some of my sales consultants here you know and but you you've got kind of like you've got from from a, a management point of view you've got to notice this from happening otherwise the anxiety stops them from being really capable at the job mm. you know just because you have anxiety doesn't mean that you can't do your job but you, you've got to kind of like stop them from going down that road mm. where they're just going with anxiety instead of actually going with what they're good at and what they're mm. really, you know, being recruiters, you know, it's a very difficult skill, you know, to do. And um, you, you've got to enable them to do that um, and, and help them come over this, you know, this stressful and demanding aspect of the job. When I was, when I was in, I remember, I went through a period when I went from recruiter to manager mm. or lead, team leader and I was yeah. I was billing a lot of money and I, I knew I was very good at my I got to that point in billing in London where I was just I was good I knew I was good and I was I was filling jobs every week and it was it was it was really it was like a really good period and then I went through a, I went through a point where my team they pushed me into management and they were like right we're gonna we want to build you up now and I had this kind of, I don't know, if I've, I've always been a little bit sceptical. Like, I think my mum used to tell me as growing up, you know, if things sound too good to be true, they probably are. And like, don't, yeah. don't trust everything. So I was instantly like, who's this? For, are you doing this for me? Or are you doing this for you? Yeah. That was kind of my like, you know, you, you, I've just started earning really good money. It's took me a long time to get where I am. And now you want me to take my attention to other people. And I was a bit like, but I've said, no, you know, these guys, they've, trust, they've, they've been great with me so far. They're doing it for the right reasons, and they did. Don't they're great. I had Barnaby on the podcast, and they they were doing they were brilliant with me, but it definitely affected me. And then I was on a Nicky Coffin training program. Shout out to Nicky, it was, it was awesome. And uh, she had a slot where we used to go in once a month to see her in the office, and then she'd come in and see you like once a quarter in the office. Yeah, and no one noticed, right? But when I went into the leadership, I started getting this weird, like, heat feeling in my head when. When things got on top of me and I knew the team weren't capable of just doing what I could do, I don't know what it was, but I got this like rush of blood to my head and I used to I used to go into this weird mode where I probably was horrible to be around. And Nikki was the one who spotted it because she came in on like a Tuesday about half eleven. I remember it really well. And I got a couple of jobs called in and I knew my team weren't capable of actioning it. And I was doing something else and I was just like fuck, like time is running out. You know, this Wolf of Wall Street view, it ain't like that. It's, your fucking air is going up and you, you're like, how am I going to fix this? And then she comes in and goes, right, Sean, we've got a session in the office. And I went, I'm really sorry, I can't do it. And she went, you are doing this. And I was like, what? And she went, get in here, turn your laptop off or you can be up and come and sit down. And I sat down and she could see I was like boiling from yeah. the head. She was like, what? Let your steam off. Anyway, I went off on a ramp and no word of a lie, Within 15 minutes, we were talking about my childhood and how my dad left when I was five years old and all this other stuff. Seriously. And it went down to like me being this boy that was like stressed for my mum and all these things that are coming out of me now as I'm leading other people. And I was like, it was literally just yeah. sitting up with your, it was more like sitting with your feet up moment. But I expected a chat about contract recruitment and I'm talking about <laughs> 1994, moving house and all these yeah. things. And after that moment, I was able to deal with 
this like feeling that I used to get, and I knew how to do it. And it, yeah. it's crazy how none of my recruitment team and owners spotted it. No one saw it. They thought I was this yeah. invincible biller that was capable, of, but she spotted it in five minutes. Mm. Because she, yeah. she was trained she, in this stuff. Do you know what? And that's incredible. why it's so important. You know, I don't want to bang the drum, but we got a little bit of a platform. You know, there is a talk about this. People, if I go in and say to a business, a recruitment business, I can increase the sales performance of your guys. There's no issue around that investment of money. If I say I can do that by working with them on well-being mindset, recruiter mindset, and monitoring those, what I call the emotional intelligence markers, positive emotions, negative emotions, and some of the other achievements stuff people don't want to pay for that but it's so important because if you get that foundation yeah. right then any learning you put on top of that makes you know it just makes it so much easier in terms of adoption and implementation my question i guess to both of you because it's really you know it's really nice learning about learning about you a bit more as well sean and it's not my podcast but i just want to throw it out there to you both um mm. if managing your mental health was equivalent to going to the gym and the physical side you know, how much time would you be spending on it or do you spend on it? I'll let you go, Andrew. Yeah, I think, you know, you have to, you have to do it every single day. Mm. For, for me personally, I, I do it something every single day and um, it actually relates to something what Sean's doing right now. Um, you, you have to, you know, if you go to the gym every, you know, three times a week or you're going to get fit, you know, as long as you don't eat pizzas afterwards. But you you know you have to do the same with your mental health and you know it, it's practice and it's like what i said before you know the first time i went in that costa shop it took us 20 minutes to mm. go in the next you know the next day i went around newcastle and, and did 30 shops retail shop and everything and it's just practice and the 30th time i was so confident in that thing i was doing and it, it's exactly the same and i think sean you're doing this 75 hard diet and yeah, yeah it's that that 10 pages of growth mindset which i really liked about it actually um, yeah so this was something i spotted a year ago another podcast i listened to it's a i'm doing i put a video on linkedin last week i'm doing a challenge at the moment so i'm 25 days into a 75 day challenge where at the minute i'm i'm this big massive bottle of water next to me is it's half a gallon right that's the <laughs> That's the no. I'm still on the first one, so I need to get my act together. But um, I have to drink a gallon of water every day. I have to do two 45 minute exercises, one outside, one in, or at least one outside. But I'm doing most outside. Um, I need to read ten pages of either a business or self improvement book. Can't be an audio or a fictional book. Um, I have to eat to a diet that, I mean, it says a strict diet. I'm kind of eating just home cooked food, tofu sausages. Exactly, thrown at my head. Um, and then I'm not not drinking alcohol or eating any shit at all, any processed food. And then you've got to take a picture, a progress picture every day, right? And it, it's the habits of the fight. It's actually a mental toughness challenge. It's not phys the physical byproducts are going to be a benefit, but it's it's yeah. the ability to say I have to. I'm getting like eleven o'clock at night, I'm going to bed, I'm going shit. I forgot my progress picture. The other night, I had half a gallon of water and ten pages to read at quarter to twelve at night, but I had to do it. Did you do it? Yeah, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I have to. Right? Because you. How many times you were you up in the night going to the loo? <laughs> A few, a few, um, but but you don't, you can't progress. You go back to day one if you miss any of it. And I've, I'm, I'm not, I know, I've got this kind of attitude that I'm just not. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. Like, there's no, there's no way I'm going to not do this. Yeah. I do. I've done a few things, but but one thing this is teaching me now is that the third, the actually the thirty minutes a day I read, which is usually after my exercise. So I'm getting up at six. I'm training for forty five minutes. And I'm having thirty minutes reading with a coffee. That is actually the part of the day now that I feel like yeah. is the most useful. I mean, mm. I didn't do it. I, that's the what I used to train a lot. I used to 
do other things, but I never sat there and read every day. And it's just an amazing feeling to relax. You properly decompress. There's no reading. There's no. There's no phones. There's no blue lights. It's just yeah. you and a book, and you're listening to something that's that's there to benefit mm. you, right? Um, so for me, I'm I'm going to commit to doing that now. As I want to do it for for the long term, but I haven't in the past mm. for sure. And when I've I, I've had some really difficult moments in the last year. I, I interviewed a woman called Tony Kakosa in um, in May time, I think it was, and I got married in June, and that was the worst period of my one of the worst periods of my life. I can remember it was a month before my wedding, and I was renovating a house, and the builder ran away because I paid him. I paid him, I paid him two weeks early cash, and he fucked off and never came back. And then, so I had to get my parents to come down, finish the work. I had a Turkish wedding with all these people flying over from Istanbul. Um, me and my wife weren't really getting on very well. We were. She, I was drinking at night after work. I wasn't drinking much, but I was. I was going to the pub all the time. Yeah. And I just knew things weren't right. And I had this interview with Tony, and she talked about her life, and I just. I opened up on a level I wasn't expecting to on the podcast, and then after it, we've had like we're not we're not we have like regular conversations, and um, it made me realize I'd, I'd just forgotten about myself. I mm. got so wrapped up in the business in the house in the wedding and I'd just forgotten about myself I completely I had not thought about my health my well-being I just I was just I was just thinking about every other stimulus but but me and the last year I've really tried to improve that and I think the last since lockdown I feel like I've improved it 100% um so it, to answer your long the longest answer in history of your question is <laughs> for me it, it, like like Andrew said it's an every it's got to be every day yeah it can't be if anything, yeah. fit, health, physical, you could go three times a week on a run. I think you have to do stuff every day for your, for your mind. Yeah, personally. and I, I think, I think Sean, that's really, yeah, I picked up a couple of things that you said there and relating back to the story that you said uh, when you become, when you were becoming a manager, um, you've really got to do something every day, whether that's meditate or, I've never been into meditation, I've never really got into it, but, you know, I'm, I'm loving this kite app that, that um, Ron does, you know, it, you got to check in at least five minutes a day on, on and just focus on your mental health. But also I, I put stuff in there like projects as well. And if you set your mind, and I'm very like you, Sean, in, in terms of, you know, I wanted to become a professional diver. So I decided, and did I have anxiety? Yeah, of course I had anxiety. What happens if I die underwater? What happens if, you know, my my tank comes loose and, you know, my buddy can't save us? And, there's loads of anxiety that comes, but actually at, at the moment when you're just focusing on, um, and for me at the time it was, it was um, I didn't know anyone, I was, but I, if I sweated, you know, it was underwater, so I didn't, like, <laughs> it, it was comfortable for us. So, but I just put them thoughts to the side and just focused on just learning how to do the, the course. And, you know, and it's the same when I play, I play basketball two times a week for the last 15 years and, Will I miss an open shot? You know, it's a bit like football. Will I miss a goal, like open goal? And it's the same, like so much anxiety. But actually just stop, think of those thoughts and focus on the game. And if you put that in a work, your workplace, you know, like the, the this diet that you're doing, Sean, you know, you're focusing entirely and you're not going to give up. And mm. do that in every facet of your life because it's, you know, you can really, if you really focus on in on something, it really helps with anxiety because you had everything like, the people can't do the job I've got to do it, but I've got to do this and actually just stop. And what she did, um, Nikki, it was actually just 
let you rant and then you actually just focus in on doing what you did mm. and, and you succeeded. Well, what, what I think she said to me was like, it's almost like I had a bit of a victim mindset. Like I was, I was yeah. letting external factors, you know, jobs are being called in, my team haven't got experience. I was letting all these things affect me yeah. and I can't control those things in, a, in an instant. I can't control them. And, no. and, and I don't know if you've noticed, there's quite a lot going around on LinkedIn at the minute around this. There's like a post being shared, like if you don't come out of the coronavirus with a new skill or whatever, you never have the time. And then there's loads of people slagging it off saying, this is the worst piece of advice ever. And I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of like, I'm not saying I agree that you need to come out with a new skill or a new career path or whatever, but I kind of do think that you've got to be, you've got to be in control of your own emotions. And yeah. You can you can either sit here through the next three to six to nine months or however long it is and get upset all day about mm. the news. Like I lost my uncle last week. He was he, he had oh. kidney he, he had cancer. He was in hospital in Manchester. He got he caught COVID and within eight days he died. Right, my mum was at a funeral on Tuesday and her, my other uncle was visiting him and has caught it and has been rushed to hospital. So right now, me and my family could be sit there all day worried about it, and yeah. I'm I'm yeah. clearly not I'm worried about it, but I can't control it. I can't control that. I can't control what's going on. I can only control how I wake up every morning, yeah. how I apply myself, how I treat the people around me, and how I how I take action each day. And that that is literally all I can control. And hopefully, if I could, if I, if I act a certain way, it will rub off on those around me. Absolutely. That, that's the mindset I've 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 tried to. And look, I'm sure I've got so many things ahead of me that will knock me for six and will make me probably go back to be a victim here and there. And we all, I think it's okay to have moments like that. But it's it's like what what I'm what I get from you, Andrew, is like you've had some what sounds like really basic things, you know, walking in a shop, going yeah. to order a drink. But these things, I mean, I can't relate to that because that's never affected mm. me. But it's amazing that you're you're prepared to open up and say, you know, I've controlled it. Yeah, because it is just about controlling it. It's how you choose to respond. That's that you know a lot of the stuff that I'll talk about, and and I would love to talk to you about brain chemistry another day. You know, I don't know. Mm. I've got big interest in that and how how all of those things that you're doing when you're doing your habits, your routines, the creating those new neural pathways, firing up your happy chemicals. You're almost a walking advert, uh, advert for it, Sean. So I do want to talk to you. But the, the, the basic thing that I will often take to individuals, to clients, to businesses is, you know, you will have all of these things happening around you, but you, what you can do is choose your response. And that's it. You, you are in control of your behaviour, regardless of what the emotions are that you're feeling. And I don't believe there's a thing as a bad emotion. It's just how we how we respond to it, really. Have you guys read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey? No, I've read bits no. of it. I've seen. Yeah. Oh my god, it's yeah. a long book. I mean, it's a literally a four hundred page book. And I'll be honest, I lost the plot at times reading that. I was like, it's so scientific, and I'm not the best <laughs> reader anyway. So I was reading page after page, and then going, shit, I'm not taking any of this in. I'll read it again. Um, but but the the start of seventy five hard allowed me to finish that book. Anyway, the last oh, chapter amazing. there was one line. There was la- there was one line in the last chapter that that was worth reading the whole thing, and and maybe just go to the last chapter if you've got it. But it says that it says. The, the key to true like happiness and building habits is there is a gap between stimulus and response and it can be as big or small as you want it mm-hmm. to be but if you can control the gap and you can impact what the gap you'll be yeah. you'll, you'll be you'll succeed and you'll be happier and do you know what i mean that coronavirus is a stimulus yes our response is our yeah. choice and, and there's a gap yeah. and if you just if you respond on instinct you're going to get upset you're going to cry yeah. you're going to if you can choose you can choose your response if you, if you if you control that gap. Well, I've got a question for both of you now. Is 
and to wrap this up will be, look, there's plenty of recruitment owners listening. There's some recruiters, but a majority of our audience are the owner community, right? Yeah. More than anyone else, they are, forget about the recruiter having to be the, the superstar. You are the owner of the ship, especially <laughs> now. If you, you might have furloughed some staff, but you've got a core member, you've got a core group around you and you're, you're not even around them physically. You're on video trying to get these people motivated. Sure, there's a lot of people out there, I think, that will be feeling pressure at home, pressure, got their kids, got their dogs, got their families are real, and they've got all these people. What can, what can, what simple practical things can a recruitment owner that's feeling a bit anxious, that's feeling the stress, they might be getting some darker thoughts than they normally have. What practical things could they do now daily, Andrew, Rhonda? What could they do to, to, to feel better? Simple as that. How can they start to feel better and feel better fast? I'll jump in first, Andrew, if that's all right. Yep. Um, I liken this to when you're traveling on an airplane. I talk about this a lot, right? When you go on an airplane, the cabin crew come out and they say to you, you know, this is, if this happens, do that. If that happens, do this. If the breathing apparatus come down, please take care of yourself before you mm. look after anyone around you. So first of all, wow, yeah. um, that's a big message that I'm putting out to leaders. Understand this is your business. You are leading a team. People are looking to you and you are modeling. You're role modeling constantly. So everything you do do right now is vital for the messaging that goes out to business. Um, so be kind to yourself. And I know that's a cliche, let's word it another way. Have some compassion that we're all a little bit out of control, like you said earlier, Sean, um, you know, and be just go easy because it's much easier for people to model your compassion and much more productive for them to do that than it is to model guilt on not getting it right. So be compassionate and um, talk. Right. We talk. Andrew, you referenced talking therapists. Talk to the people around you. The evidence of good leadership that I've seen right now in the last four weeks have been the leaders that are talking to their staff totally, honestly, being very transparent, even around decision decisions about furlough. Yeah. And make communicating the value to those individuals with respect to how that's still beneficial to the business than being on furlough. It's helping the business um, stay alive. And I think the other one is, you know, take some let's, really simple stuff. Take regular breaks, yeah? Um, I talk about uh, remote work and acuity, which is that perceptiveness you need when you're looking at a screen as opposed to when someone's physically in front of you. You, you have to work a lot harder mentally to pick up on the visual cues. Um, BBC did an article on it the other, the other day around Zoom fatigue and, you know, you're at home, so actually our productivity typically gets boosted because we're intensively working without distraction, but there's also that element that we're working harder mentally, so you do need to take more regular breaks. Doesn't matter if it's your business and you're the owner, step back and lead by example. That That's uh, over to you, Andrew. <laughs> no, yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And, you know, as a, as a recruitment owner, you know, it's, you have to you have to talk you have to pick up that phone and, and talk to your consultants and some of them might not want to talk so, so just leave them be but they as long as they know they can give you a ring at any point you know 24 7 you know that that's really important for everyone and that's important for the now but it's also important for the future you know mm. and just checking in that the you know picking up a new skill as I don't really care, you know, one of our consultants just done the Google Digital Garage certification um, and an another is, you know, perfecting the video skills that helped us with that video. But as long as they're 
working on something as well you know it's it's all about my mental strength yeah you know because it's been four weeks now of lockdown it, it's getting you know some of them might have a cabin fever you know the first week it's like oh yes lockdown for a week and i can watch netflix all, all week but you know it's it's starting to get long now and there's you know as soon as the lockdown's over you know it's it's at some point everyone will go back to work and you know you've as a as a, as a leader and you know People will be coming through back to work with different anxieties. Will 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 my clients pick up the phone, give us a role? I, I, I need a bill, or I'll be expecting everyone to to bill, you know, mm. in, in within three months, you know, and you know what I would suggest everyone doing now is is pick up the phone and, and either talk to your clients, but don't don't win don't win a role, you know, just just chat them and and plan for the future and. And nearly all of my conversations with my consultants have, have been around, you know, personal development um, and, you know, just kind of like supporting each other. And it's like oh, I said at the start, you know, if you if you give a shit about someone and a couple of our consultants have had the coronavirus and, you know, just check in with them, mm. you know, they, they might not want the help, but check in with them and, and just let them know that you're at the over end of the phone or home fantastic zoom or or microsoft teams and that's really important can i just add go back to that because you've just referenced something really really key about people and you know the other thing we've got some blurred lines right now about being at home and the fact that we're not in an office and you know if if we're talking about the audience being recruitment business leaders you know i'd like to remind everybody that there is a duty of care an ongoing duty of care as an employer um for you to you know be aware of people's mental health and how working in a certain way can impact it. And the health and sec- uh, health and safety executive, and this is, I've talked about this a few times this week. You know, th- there is an obligation there. They put, it's all on there on the website. So you know, don't think that just because people are at home they don't need support, and you don't have to look at their well being. You know, I think I've put something out on um, LinkedIn this morning. You, you know, I'm passionate about right now because of kite support, but mental health is for life not just for coronavirus. So, you know, yeah, look after your team, look after your people, look after yourselves. Yeah, look after yourselves as well. Um, guys, that's all we've got time for. Wow, I could talk to you two for hours. It's been great fun. <laughs> and Andrew, I just want to say thanks so much for being so honest, mate. I think you are, you're not alone, right? There's a lot, even including yeah. myself, we've all had times where things have gone yeah. gone in our, in our head and we've had difficult moments, but not many people are confident enough to ever talk about yeah. these things and do you know what you think about where you were once to where you are now talking about this on on live to, to hundreds of people i think you should be proud of yourself mate incredible work oh, thanks Sean, man. thank Appreciate you Andrew. and ronda yeah, thanks, ronda man. thanks for taking the time and, and and showcasing you know the types of things we all need to be thinking about i hope um i hope people reach out to you both as a result of this are you, are you happy for that if anyone wants to absolutely. ask absolutely absolutely yeah, yeah. If, yeah if, so, if anyone wants to you know the whole this whole hour that we've just done is is about opening up and talking about it mm. and yeah uh, this is the first time i've actually talked about it openly and you know most of my some of my consultants won't even know any part of this but yeah. it's important that you know you know that you open up and talk to people and, that, that... and just don't give a shit that that's that's my ending point just don't give a shit what people think of you because you know i, I spoke to, i just met Rhonda two weeks ago and i've told her the whole life story but she, she's she's caring she, she doesn't give a shit and like she, oh, sorry, gives a shit. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> um, yeah, but she but cares I, about she cares she about cares. you. She doesn't care about yeah. the shit that you care. She's not she's not cared about the the, the insecurity. She cares about you as a person. I think that's the exactly. truth in, in most instances. Yeah. Very nice, guys. Keeper. 
thank you so much um Thanks, i really Sean, really man. enjoyed it and um like i say i, I hope people reach out and and um you can, i'm sure you can help more people than, than the people that are listening today but um We'll, uh, well, let's check in again in the future and see if we can have an update on this, all right? Brilliant. Um, yeah. Guys, everyone everyone who's listened, I really hope you enjoyed it. It's a slightly different episode of The Rag, but, you know, growing an agency in current times and past times and future times, mental health is is, is massively important to that. And, you know, it can't all be about the uh, the exit plans and the, and the, the fancy offices and the, the profit. It's sometimes about, you know, being a, being the best version of yourself while you're doing it. Um, if you enjoyed today's episode, I, I don't ask for any money from you to listen, but I ask for one thing. Please do share this episode online. Get on there, get on LinkedIn, put your comments in there. Go on the, the Apple Apple Store, uh, sorry, Apple iTunes and, and share your comments, but also share it with people you know. If you know someone who you think might benefit, you know, might be having a tough time, let them listen. Put it in their WhatsApp, put it in an email, put it in a text message, because the more people that listen, the more we're all going to come out of this industry, um, well, they are this problem as an industry stronger and that, that's all I care about is make sure we all come out of this in the best shape as we can. Um, finally, launching next week is my uh, first course on the Hoxo Academy, which is a, a personal branding course for recruitment owners. Um, we've got you signed up, um, yep. Andrew, so you're, uh, you're in the mix with Can't us wait. next week. So next week, starting <clears throat> first week of May, we are going to be launching um, the Personal Brand Academy, which is a 16-week program working exclusively with me every single week via Zoom, um, I'm going to be opening the bonnet of what I've done to go from an offline recruiter, a very strong networker, to someone who's building a brand online that drives inbound business. And I'll be honest, I just enjoy it a hell of a lot more than I used to. And I want you guys to benefit from that and become an authority in your markets, in your spaces. Um, I've got limited spaces left, but I, I really want RAG listeners to be the first people to, to enjoy and, and benefit from this program. Um, I'm going to put a link to the uh, the application form, we're not accepting everyone. We want uh, your answers to an application. You'll go through a process, a quick process of a conversation with us, and then we'll work out whether you're the right fit for the program. If we believe in you, then we, we can hold your hands to becoming what you need to be. Um, fill in, click the link, and fill in the form. We'll come back to you asap. I'm hoping that a lot of you guys get involved, um, as I'd love to work with you even closer than you know just listening on the show. Um, in the meantime, I'll be back next Wednesday with another episode of The Rag, not The Rag Report, where I'm talking to recruitment owners at length about stories of growth, positive, negative, all that's involved. In the meantime, stay safe, look after yourselves, your families, and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, we've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online and we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now we're managing the marketing for so that involves strategy content creation distribution systems process and leads generated having been recruiters and marketeers we can not only build your brand but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, 
and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support, you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.